0: You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a mountain pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Sydney. I am Benolia. I help connect businesses with tech talent and today I'm your host. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia Podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders from Australia to discuss um, industry passions, challenges and ideas. My name is Vinolia, and I connect businesses with talented professionals in the data space. Today, I am joined by Glenn Smith, who is the CTO at Hammond Care, Kirushka Bisitsbilan, who is the head of data, technology and growth at um, Ambo, as well as, as um, Samir Sinha, who is the co-founder and CEO at Global Medics. And our topic for today is How would AI impact the healthcare workforce? And with with that said, we'll discuss real-life problems faced by the workers in the industry as well as the potential solutions that a range of technologies such as IoT, chatbots, generative AI, wearables and so on can um, be used to solve these problems. So before we get into our topic, let's work our way around the room with um, a few introductions. Glenn, um, do you want to kick us off?
1: Sure thing. So, yep. Good everyone. I'm Glenn Smith, uh, CTO from uh, Hammond Care. Uh, Hammond Care we provide uh, residential aged care, home care, dementia support services. Um, I've been on board uh, Hammond Care for just over six months. i uh, spent the majority of my time creating a new digital strategy, and that digital strategy is aimed at addressing some of the um, major challenges that were being faced in the aged care sector um, and so yeah we're we're going to discuss a few of them today
2: amazing Th- thank you for that um glenn uh, piroshka do you want to go next sure hi i'm piroshka bizitz i'm the head of data technology and growth at umbo umbo is a social enterprise startup we provide allied health services to people in rural and remote parts of australia via telehealth and a range of other creative tech solutions um in my role, I'm responsible for all of our technology platform, as well as our data and algorithms and things like that. Uh, and in the growth aspect, I'm responsible for the startup part of the social enterprise startup because I have some experience rapidly scaling uh, startups previously. Amazing!
0: Thanks for that, uh, Um Samir, do you want to go next? I know you handling like sort of like two things, which is uh, Robonomics and um, Global Metrics. Yep. Do you want to give us a-
3: yeah? So. On that? That's true. So I come from a background in technology. Um, used to work for um, large IT companies like uh, Tata Consultancy Services, Oracle, uh, etc. And uh, six years ago, I quit a 25-year corporate career to become a startup. Uh, my first startup was Robonomics AI, where we built innovative AI-based solutions for corporate clients. And when COVID struck. Um, COVID Delta wave struck in 2021, I was kind of compelled to build a solution that can enable people look after their loved ones remotely. So we create social network of caregivers, family members, neighbors, friends, etc. And we put smart devices on patients. And um, data is collected through these two sources and published into a web-based dashboard, which a team of clinicians and providers can access whenever they are available remotely and provide the support. So that's essentially what we do.
0: Amazing. Thank you all for the wonderful introductions. Um, Now that we've established um, a context to each of you, let's um, get into the topic and focus. And we have a number of questions that were brought forward by um, all of you guys um, on how would AI impact The healthcare workforce and um as usual we're going to work around the room um and i'll ask for your guys inputs and um, thoughts on the questions so let's look at our first question um which is what are the major problems in healthcare which includes um hk as well as disability supports that are growing and need to be addressed um glenn do you want to talk to us about this
1: sure um probably the uh by far uh the greatest challenge is the retraction attraction and retention of staff um it's it's an industry-wide um uh issue and uh it also meets the requirements that have um come out of the royal commission the aged care royal commission um and so we're starting to see uh some of those uh requirements coming into uh legislation and um uh, and uh mandated um and all of these are starting to place an additional burden on the staff um that's um is essentially take them away from providing the care for our elderly and uh, and vulnerable um so yeah we're looking towards technology how do we uh enhance care uh that can um that, that enhance the care that we provide and remove some of these administration overheads that are um, that are coming. Uh, letting our staff get back to caring, uh, as opposed to uh, you know, managing overheads. Um, so yeah, so that's some of the the challenges that we're seeing, um, and yeah, looking to this group to uh, you know help us uh, help us through it and
0: guide us through it. Okay, great. So what what are your thoughts on that, uh, Prashka?
2: Oh, look, I absolutely agree. The administrative burden that uh, needs to be addressed, you know, in the, we, we do a lot of work in the NDIS space and to maintain our NDIS registration, there's a lot of very complex requirements there. There's definitely a role for technology in helping us streamline that and automate that um, so that the burden is not placed on the staff who are trying to provide frontline services. Um, I think a lot of staff, you know, both the clinicians that work at UMBO, but also I used to work at Mabel, which is the largest online marketplace for aged care and disability services in Australia. Um, The workforce there, they're in the business, you know, and they're in this particular industry because they love caring for people and they love the human interaction and they love providing the emotional support and the connection. So to have half of their day or three quarters of their day taken up with administrative tasks is a significant burden on them. Um, And I would say, you know, as we have an aging workforce and we want to provide good services to people with a disability through something like the NDIS and You know, Medicare is coming under strain. As technologists, I'd say we have a moral imperative to find solutions um, because society is going to be impacted as a whole if we can't make things more efficient. And and I think the great thing and the reason we're here is because there's technology available even today that is allowing that to happen, but we need to do it at a reasonable pace. Uh, And it's tricky because the industries are quite slow. Uh, even though a lot of these technologies are available. But I think I think we have a moral imperative to address these workforce challenges. It's not just an industry thing, it's a whole of society thing.
0: Hmm. Okay, what, what do you think, Samir?
3: So let me split it up into two. Um, one is the workforce problem and then we'll come to the technology piece. So when we talk about workforce, I'm reminded of um, several decades ago when I was part of this Indian IT ecosystem, where we saw significant growth at the end of Y2K. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, companies were hiring like not in tens and dozens. But in one year, I remember we hired 76,000 employees, wow. new people joining the organization. Um, so we've been through this huge deluge of demand supply gap. And to address that gap, the industry had used certain tools and techniques um, of of fulfilling that gap because there's always a lag between a demand for a certain service and resources being made available to address those. So there were some really interesting um, things we did at that time, cross-skilling and and, uh, career pathways and stuff like that, which could be quite useful for the problem that we have on hand here Uh, but the world's very different today the world's very different today because there's a lot better appreciation of technology Um, in those days technology used to trickle down from the top the governments could afford the biggest computers and then um, large corporates uh, would adopt it and then it would come here it's the consumers who are um adopting technology um, uh, before their employers can do it. So people are buying smartwatches in large numbers. It's a trendy thing now. Uh, What's helping that trend is essentially um, the the, uh, big companies investing a lot of research and development into making these smartwatches not just prettier and more convenient, but more accurate and more um, directed towards health. So um, there is an adoption that's happening largely amongst the younger folk, uh, not so much probably amongst the older folk who actually need it more. But the interesting thing is, of course, there's a question about um, human creativity and generative AI. Of course, that is another trend that has emerged where people are now... um, solving their homework, kids are solving their homework using Generative AI. But there is a potential pathway we could use some of these technologies to solve the problems that face the industry today. Because honestly, this problem's not going to solve itself. We are all going to grow older. Um, we're going to live longer. And we're going to live longer in the more frail end of our lives when we need more support. Um, and that after having lived a life where we've produced less children mm-hmm. who will who will be the productive force to 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 pay for our services when we grow old so the whole demographics the whole economy is changing in a way where there is immense pressure to find new solutions and status quo is not an option anymore
2: Samia would you would you agree that in addition to the aging population, and not having enough children, um, there's a change in expectations as well. People expect to have more in old age. There's expectations from the person themselves. There's expectations from the family about the quality of service they're going to receive. So in addition to having more people to provide care to a, a workforce that's significantly smaller, the expectations of the people receiving the care are quite high. Um, and so that's I find that's a challenge as well. How are we going to use technology to meet the expectations that people now have? Uh, in the disability, people with disability now have a higher expectation, as they should, of the services they can receive, um, and they see themselves as a customer, which is fantastic. Um, but we need we need to provide solutions that meet their expectations as well, which I think is a challenge.
3: I totally agree with you. And when it comes to customer expectations, um, their expectations are not being formed by other players in the industry. They're using Facebook. They're using Amazon. Their expectations are set at that level, and they expect the providers to have a similar kind of service being offered to them in terms of their taking care of their old age and their disability. So I totally agree.
1: Yep, I'll say the same in uh, look at in the residential facilities. Uh, today's cohort of um, of residents uh, may not have that same expectation, but tomorrow's do, and tomorrow's uh, and next year's and the year afters do. So, yeah, I'm planning for that future now. Also okay. planning for it. Um, I'll be there in the future too. So you know, I want to do a good job. <laughs>
3: All right. Uh, that's I the I, interesting I, part. Uh, that's the interesting part of what we are trying to do, while. We are building up our businesses, et cetera, but we are securing our old age as we, you know, rush towards it at 100 miles an hour. Yeah.
0: Do you guys think, like, the future, because it's, you know, everything is, like, more tech-inclined, will accommodate, like, the older people that are, for example, your nurses, your support workers that are not as tech-savvy as, like, you and I or the younger generation,
3: I think if it's, I believe there is a certain cohort of um, older people who may actually be quite tech savvy. Uh, these may not be representative of the entire lot, mm-hmm. but when we engage with my parents are in India, they are seventy five plus, and they are quite digitally savvy. Uh, oh. My father gets quite worried when his Alexa stops working. So um, for them, it's kind of a leapfrogging of they don't have to type, um, you know, uh, text commands on a green screen. They have Alexa to talk to now. So they have leapfrogged a lot of these user interfaces that we have gone through in steps because it's a lot easier for them. He can't read as much Mm -hmm. because of his eyesight's failing. So he can talk, he can listen to um, audio stories and stuff like that. So I think there is a role for technology to make it more accessible to the disabled, to the elderly, as opposed to going through that traditional pathway, uh, one step after the other.
2: Okay, were you gonna say something, Parashka? Oh, I was gonna say, I'd say that I absolutely agree. Um, I think if you get the interface right, And you use more intuitive interfaces, and that's where AI has a really big role to play in making the interface more intuitive so you can talk to it, so you can ask it questions. I think that's how you get the older cohort of the workforce to adopt the technology. Because like you said, you can leapfrog the clunky interface and all the buttons and the menu items that you can't work out, and you can literally just talk to it. Um, It's really interesting at Umbo, we have a really wide range of clinicians, from really experienced clinicians in the older cohort through to new grads. Well, we don't take completely new grads, but people with a few years experience, early career. Um, and so I do tech support for a really wide range of people. Uh, and what I find is, um, for example, we just launched an AI assistant recently um, that has a very, you know, easy to use interface and everyone was able to use it and have a go of it quite, quite quickly and quite easily. So I could see right away then, you know, the, the power of AI to provide a much more user-friendly interface. For essentially the same thing um you know it's really there and i think it can bridge that gap of ages
1: and we're, we're talking about people um saying consciously going and using an ai interface but uh, my vision is that um you're not conscious that you're going and using some AI, some interface so um, you know at, at, right now we go on to everyone has a google you go hey google or, hey alexa um, you're not actually conscious that you're interacting with some pretty complex stuff underneath my vision i want to be able to see our care workers um Uh, using some uh, ambient AI and just having conversation with a resident and that um, conversation is then converted into their notes converted into actions converted into requests automatically updates their their records that's my vision of the future and so it's not about saying we've got to train all these people how to uh, click on computers Uh, it's about um, building this into uh, just be pervasive in the work that they do
0: Amazing. Thank you guys for those inputs. We actually have a question from um, Michaela Ferreira and she sort of like addresses our next question and she wants to know how can AI be used to enhance um, human creativity and problem solving
2: ability? So I have an example of this from literally this morning. One of our <laughs> occupational therapists was using ChatGP to help them brainstorm ideas for something that they could do with one of their clients and it actually came up with some pretty good ideas because it does have access to quite a wide range of information um that it did it should, she was literally having a conversation hey you know if you needed to you know help a client achieve this what would you suggest and it was come up with all kinds of things including characters out of movies because it was a pediatric client characters who could be used as part of the therapy session um and and that's pretty exciting i you know that's that's allowing an occupational therapist to have access to much more information that they could possibly keep in their brain, you know, in one go. Um, It's not taking out their role. You know, they're still looking through the ideas and thinking about which ones am I going to use and how am I going to adapt them? But as a really quick brainstorming tool to come up with creative ideas, I could see how it works. I, I absolutely think it's got a role in creative problem solving.
3: Just related to that Medical literature doubles every 73 days. So imagine the exponential growth of research that's happening out there in the world. What hope does a clinician or a caregiver has to keep abreast of what's latest in technology, what's latest in care, or what's latest in evidence-based research? Impossible. In a scenario like that, if we have a digital agent that can read all that data and provide that one line of explanation that's relevant to a particular patient, that's relevant to the condition that a particular person is going through at that point in time, that can save lives um, and that can enable a workforce that's not PhD, they are not like, they haven't spent decades, but they need that one paragraph to just address that one problem for the patient. And that's available to them without going through the... So it could be a way of upskilling people in that micro task that they need to perform, as opposed to going through an entire degree and upskilling themselves and then coming to the same patient to solve the same problem in the same way, um, you've saved a few years of training and upskidding.
1: Yeah, I'd actually answer that one as well, but bring it a lot closer to the uh, the resident. I talk uh, resident in uh, in aged care, and um, we now have so much more information and ability to gain information about them. Their social interactions there biological their physical their uh their demographic information so we can tell now such a, a a hugely different story about that resident than what we could previously in the past so now how can we use ai to provide much better care for them based on all these different factors about them themselves um that's uh, to me is a um a huge leap that we can make in the not so uh, distant future
0: Okay. We actually have a comment from um, Krishna Ayagari. Um, So he says he agrees that there's a lot of technology developments. You know, the challenge is elderly people who need help and are not able to use these due to disabilities, um, you know, with other limitations being like poor eyesight and the use of devices as an example. Would you guys agree?
3: Totally. So the whole idea is this user interface. Um, we went through a significant, um, um, you know, discontinuity when the graphic user interface and the mouse was uh, invented, and now we're moving to a space where, you know, there are sensors that we have integrated to our platform that go under the mattress. And through the mattress, it measures the heartbeat of the person while the person's just lying in his own bed. That's it. So there is no need for a person to now open up an app and manually enter what is is happening with him. He just goes about with his daily life and uh, they have all their vital signs being collected. Um, So as technology advances, this problem is being addressed by several people and we will have more and more solutions that are easier to use more not more difficult okay
0: do you got anybody else want to add anything to that one
1: no look i think it's um it, it's a it's a given that's uh, the usability of Anything that could be in any industry um, is key to its success. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, that's, a, that's a given. And, uh, yeah, we should always constantly remind ourselves of that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you design for people with a disability, we know that those designs tend to be more usable by everyone. So hopefully everybody in this industry is thinking about that. But totally agree. There's so much technology that can be put into play that doesn't require someone to be directly using it. So that's really exciting at the moment.
0: Okay, amazing. So let's move on to our next question, uh, which Samir will address. And the question is, what are the big changes in tech that may be relevant to solving these problems?
3: Samir, do you want to? So, of course, we work backwards. We can see generative AI and um, we have seen uh, how large language models can help solve some of these issues. Um, We have had some live examples. Now, this entire zone of generative AI is not just text-based. It can be image-based. It can be video-based as well. So if you start applying that to images of wounds that patients capture um, as the wounds progress to heal, there could be analysis done by AI to monitor the progress of the wound healing, for example. Um, If you look at um, voice-based interactions for people who are visually impaired, um, if you look at mental health assessments, for example, a person who's going through mental health issues typically considers... um, is that a person would be shy to talk to a a counselor because of the risk of being judged. But when they are talking to a digital assistant or a bot, that fear is taken away because they are not being judged by an individual, uh, by a human. And that support is available 24 by 7 when they are experiencing that anxiety or that depression. So there are several of these instances where Tools are already available. Technology is already available in the market, and and Krishna, you've said perfectly right. They are they are all this tech that we are talking about. It's not in the realm of research and development. They are they have been implemented in different parts of the world, and there are people using these tools. So, uh, technology in terms of the AI part, but if we move further. AI needs data, and to pick up that data, there's a heap of uh, wearables and smart sensors that are uh, coming into the market today. Um, The huge proliferation of smartwatches and smartwatches becoming smarter with more sensors, with more data they're collecting, um, that feeds into AI. So now AI has data that it can scrape from the web that it can pick up from the smart devices that's available in the EMR systems of hospitals, of other healthcare institutions. So there is a huge explosion of data being available, and that is being supported by the growth in technology that can process the data and personalize the service or um, uh, a risk assessment for a patient at a particular point in time so now we are looking at personalization not to the you know uh, set of one person but we are looking at personalization on for that person at that point in time and that's possible uh it was not possible without these technologies coming on
0: board okay and what what are your thoughts on that uh, Pereska?
2: i'd absolutely agree i i see the major kind of groups of technology yes as being your ai your machine learning your large language models then you've got your internet of things, you know, your wearable devices collecting all the data. Um, In addition to that, I would say there's also a role for very straightforward automation. And I think one of the exciting things is no-code automation, where you don't necessarily need a software developer on your team to automate routine tasks. You would be surprised how many things I can do with Zapier. It's amazing. You know, it's a very, very simple integration tool. But if you apply it to the problem of your NDIS regulation and compliance, (laughs) you can achieve a lot with just a graphical interface and you don't need a software developer. Um, So I think those tools as well that allow you to deploy relatively simple automation, you know, without needing to invest huge amounts of time and energy in code. I can code, but it's certainly a lot easier to just drag and drop on a graphical interface and, you know, click play and off we go. Um, So I I think there's that group of things. But then also I would add possibly augmented reality and virtual reality. Um, I think there's certainly a role to play there. If I think about our speech pathologists, for example, when they're trying to do a mealtime management plan and they're all virtual, so but they're needing to look inside someone's mouth. They're needing to inspect the mouth. Um, and so while they are able to do it, it's certainly one of the things that are more challenging. Um, and I could see a role for virtual reality and augmented reality uh, in that aspect of trying to kind of be present without actually being physically there. Um, so yeah, those are the main areas that that I see. Glenn, do you see? Do you see more? Because there's so many, so many yeah, areas. Yeah,
1: there was a, a bit of um, discussion earlier about wearables and yeah, you know, whether it's uh, watches. I know there's some uh, pendants that um, have uh, been uh, created as well. But I'm more interested in um, uh, devices that can uh, can manage. Uh, uh, sensors that can manage that are wireless. There's um, some ones that we're trialling now which are uh, we call them optical sensors. Um, I know people get excited when you talk about cameras and um, uh, camera recognition etc but um, really important for us not to um, uh, not to shy away from from that but understand the ethics and the ethical issues uh, but for me it's really important that um, our as we're looking towards where our residents are um, uh, are they uh, out of bed in bed uh, bathroom out of bathroom etc so being able to uh, manage it without them wearing something so we can track locations etc so uh, that's why I'm interested in uh, other types of sensors such as um, uh, yes yeah, such as optical or um, other uh, infrared or nano wave type sensors that are um, starting to hit um, hit the markets at the moment too
0: Okay, and so we have another question from uh, Paul Hughes. So he says, "Health is undergoing major change. How can AI be used to support change programs?" Anybody want to take that?
3: Yeah, that's okay. I'll I'll take it. Yep. So, change programs, change management is 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 a whole new, uh, not whole new, but it's one of the most critical part of um, any technology implementation for decades. It's it's, And this has to deal with um, the resistance that people have to each one of these change programs. And the ability for us to understand what is triggering um, a resistance from an individual or a group of individuals is key to... Um, driving a successful change program. So if we can use um, some of these tools to understand the background, uh, to understand the motivations, to understand why people are um, resisting to change, um, and then we could personalize messages, probably using one of the large language models, um, that would be directed at individuals Uh, on how we can overcome the the impediment that they have in their heads or the fear that they have um, for a particular change program, then we can individually address it for each person. Uh, And that power is now available with these large language models uh, at, at, at our fingertips now. So that would be one way I believe it can support large change programs Apart from the assistance that uh, a typical program and a change manager gets um, in in compiling the content, in in monitoring the program, and in um, brainstorming on how we what could be innovative ways uh, we could uh, negate some of the resistance that we are facing.
2: I guess like I could also see a role for AI if you're trying to implement a change program that requires people to change their behavior or to learn new skills or to get across a large amount of new information. Perhaps you're changing the way that you deliver a service um, or perhaps you're rolling out a new diagnostic tool or things like that. I could certainly see a role for an AI assistant in that respect. Where people can ask questions about what this, you know, what is this change? What do I need to know? Oh, I've encountered the scenario they were talking about. Let me consult the AI assistant about what the next step is um, because I haven't had, you know, I I'm not totally across the new procedures and I haven't read the new manual and things like that. So I think anytime we're trying to roll out a change that requires people to be across a lot of information, we could use an AI assistant to make that information just a whole lot more accessible um, and at your fingertips rather than having people sort of rote learning SOPs and, and stuff like that, um, and trying to remember how to put them in practice when they're in the scenario.
0: Okay, your thoughts, Glenn?
1: Um, I think they've summed it up quite well. I don't know if I've got anything else to write there.
0: <laughs> okay, no, that's fine. Um, we have another question from um, Cheyenne Pant, and the question is, how can AI impact telemedic- telemedicine and areas such as medical coding and billing?
2: I can speak to this one because yeah, yeah, we do telemedicine, so um, (laughs) in terms of, I mean, in terms of the medical coding and billing, yes, Medicare is very painful and identifying exactly which billing code. The NDIS as well, which precise support item is being, you know, is being provided here. Um, So I think there's definitely a role for AI in a, a bit like, I think it was Glenn, you were talking about the passive listening passive listening to a consultation and then the analysis of that information to identify the correct billing code and the correct support item. I think there's an important role for a human in the loop there. Um, So our system, for example, it does suggest a support item when we do a support plan, but that does need to be handled. The the OT or the speech pathologist and the client themselves or the support coordinator need to have a look at that and confirm, yes, um, this is what I'm after. Um, But having the support item automatically pre-populate with a suggestion does save an awful lot of time. Um, and effort on everybody's behalf. So it saves a lot of admin time. So I think there's a real role there for, yeah, analysis, natural language processing of information in order to identify billing codes and things like that. Um, In terms of other areas of telemedicine, so um, diagnostics in particular, so having machine learning models that are able to, yes, collect and analyze data um, remotely and do diagnostics remotely based on the information that's being collected does allow a specialist to do a whole lot more um, remotely rather than having to be physically in the room. So I think that's another really important area. Although that said, um, it's amazing what our speech pathologists and occupational therapists can do remotely from very straightforward information like a video from home, you know, or some basic measurements from home. They can actually do quite a lot. So it doesn't even necessarily need AI. Um, It just needs a reliable source of data coming from the home.
1: In the aged care space, um, the The main funding instrument um, is—it's called ANAC. It's uh, a—it's a classification system for residents uh, that essentially matches back the care that's being provided to the funding that um, the facility receives. Uh, Pretty different, very different to um, uh, medical coding and billing. But uh, how we can use AI in that instance? There is um, as a resident is aging and uh, requires more care. um, It's a human. intervention uh, to request a change of that classification. Uh, We now have the data, we now have the knowledge and the um, ability for AI to automatically um, flag and to capture uh, when someone needs to be reclassified. So that's a real world um, uh, example of something that's available now and uh, should be used right now, actually, uh, for managing that. Just ensuring that uh, facilities are getting paid for the care that's being provided.
3: Virushka, you raised a very important point uh, regarding human-in-the-loop. One is looking at AI or new technology by itself. But if you look at this technology as being a part of a process that is being driven by a team, by humans, then a lot of the risks are mitigated and the capability of these individuals are multiplied several fold. So if you're talking about, again, the medical literature being researched and being delivered to a doctor, it saves the doctor's time. And as far as the patient is concerned, he's not exposed to that risk of uh, a large language model suddenly hallucinating something which is inappropriate uh, because there is a doctor who's providing that human filter um, and and it just enables the doctor to be a lot more targeted, a lot more capable. Maybe a system like that could um, help a patient collect information on if these are your symptoms, what would what is the doctor likely to uh, need um, to do a correct analysis? And if we start looking at that paradigm that AI is not to be used by itself on its own, but with human in the loop, suddenly the whole world looks a lot more powerful. I mean, solutions become a lot more powerful.
2: Absolutely. I definitely, when we're designing things at Umbo, we're thinking about technology as assisting our clinicians or assisting, or almost, I think, Samir, you'd written about a co pilot kind of situation. Um, and that's definitely how we think about it. For us, it's really important to have a human in the loop. This technology is allowing our staff to do more, um, to do, spend more time on what's really important for a human to do and to save them time. It's not that we would allow these systems to be making decisions without a human in the loop, um, because there's obviously inherent risks in that. Um, and the human in the loop adds something really, really important to the whole thing. So, yeah, I see it as an assistant, as a co-pilot rather than as a complete replacement for a particular process.
1: Heard a very good phrase once was uh, allow the uh, computers to do what computers do well so that people can do what they do well.
0: I like that one. (laughs) All right, thank you so much, guys, for your input on that one. Um, And our final question is, if we reimagine the future of healthcare, what does it look like? Um, Parents, guys, do you want to... I can kick
2: us off, but I'm pretty sure all three of us have a vision of the future. (laughs) Um, My vision of the future, which is not too surprising because I'm working in telehealth at the moment, my vision is that a lot of the care is provided at home. It's home-based care. Um, I can see that trend. There's a trend away from residential institutions. Um, there's patient and family expectations about wanting to stay at home longer. In the disability space, there's expectations about having your own home and being able to stay in your own home, in your own space. And so, for me, the future of healthcare is that someone's able to be in their home, and all the information that's needed to monitor them is able to be collected from devices in their home, from wearables. Um, is able to be transmitted back to specialists who don't necessarily even need to be in the same city, and the same country even. Um, so you could get access to the top specialists who have all the data they need. Um, you've potentially got, you know, machine learning models in there, analysing the data, assisting, being the co-pilot with that specialist who's able to provide support to someone who's still in their home. And that your frontline support workers are focusing mostly on the human interaction and the emotional components of that support. Um, and all their administrative tasks are automated and they've got their AI assistant if they need to know a standard operating procedure on the job they've got their AI assistant there to ask um, on their phone on their smartphone because and and the interesting thing is that this um, this vision is actually possible now it sounds like a vision of the future but actually if you think about all the technology that's available now it's all actually able to be done now Um, it would be a pretty amazing provider that was able to put it all in place um, given the speed of change in the industry but I, I don't think that's a too far distant vision of the future. So that's my vision. It's home-based, um, and as much as possible, being provided at home, uh, with the people on the front line doing what they do best, um, and being able to do that really, really well. Oh, great!
1: I agree one hundred percent. If I put the aged care hat on, it's keeping people in the homes for as long as possible, allowing people to age age in places that um, think that um only yeah come into a. Uh, into residential care um, at the time that you need to. So, yeah, keep you in the home as long as possible. Uh, and, yeah, with the um, everything you've just spoken about, um, yeah, having the uh, sensors, uh, the data and the ability for people to uh, care for you remotely, uh, care for you um, in your own home um, with the uh, highest quality of care, higher than what you'd be receiving in a, uh, in a facility as well.
0: Nice. Samir, do you want to add to that?
3: Yeah, so um, I'm I'm going to take the vision that Piroshka shared, and I'm going to, you know, share with you how one of our clients is currently uh, operating. So this is a hospital that specializes in cardiac surgeries. So typically, when you undergo an open heart bypass surgery, for example, you'd be cut open, you know, your heart would be fixed, you'd be stitched up. A few days in the hospital, and then you'd be sent home, and then you'd come back to the hospital every once uh, in a while to um, step on the treadmill, and the doctors would have sensors all over you um, to monitor your rehabilitation. Now, what this hospital's doing is, as a patient gets released from the hospital, they give them a smartwatch, and. The person goes home and um, not just home, but attends office, you know, picks up kids, leads life the normal way. And while the person's doing all that, the specialist doctors are monitoring that patient's every heart rate. And when required, the patient does an ECG test on the watch sitting in the office or while watching his son play soccer or whatever. So the care that they are providing for the six-month rehabilitation, essentially they are extending their hospital into not just the homes, but the office at the playground, just the normal way a person would lead life. So that's happening today. Um, And uh, this is where we are today. It's not quite a vision, like you very rightly said. Where I would see the industry moving towards is more of interoperability. And that's one area which is probably holding this vision uh, back. So no one provider can provide everything. So in a scenario like that, data needs to be able to flow across two relevant providers so that they have enough insight to deliver the care that they are specializing in. And that interoperability of data is missing in the industry today. And if we could all work towards some form of um, effective, secure interoperability, I guess we will attain that future where access to care is not limited by how much you can pay or where you're located physically where care providers know what it's like everyone singing out of the same, same song sheet and you have different providers doing their bit and the eventual winner is the patient is the elderly person, is the disabled person but at the same time Every provider is actually doing less and delivering more.
2: It's interesting you raised the interoperability issue. I completely agree. This all only works if the data can move seamlessly between different aspects of the system. Um, I was at a data event recently and we were talking about trends that people were observing and some of the people working in organisations that collect data from multiple different other parties were saying that as as people have responded to the recent data breaches, there's been a reluctance to share data. There's been a reluctance to pass data between systems and actually everybody's pulling back a little bit um, rather than moving forward in that area. So I'm really hoping that on the regulatory front regarding data breaches and in day-to-day practice, we're able to reach a point where people, we have the systems and we have the processes in place to make the sharing safe and that we can again move forward. Because, um, it, yeah, it was a bit concerning to hear everybody's pulling back. It's not ideally what we want. It's not going to make things easy. But yeah, we obviously is, need to keep things safe.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and you know, the interesting thing is when data breaches happen, APIs are what we start addressing. The fact of the matter is we're addressing API because that's the easy problem to solve. The more difficult problem to solve is the people who are interacting with the system So very often data breaches happen not because of weakness in APIs, but because of cultural change within an organization, the culture within an organization. Do I write my passwords down somewhere? Do I have weak passwords? Am I following those simple processes to um, have a secure system? Doing that at scale with all your employees is where the problem is. So funnily enough, the problem seems to be data breach. But that's just a symptom. That's just an impact. The core problem is we people. And somehow, I don't know how technology can solve. It can solve to a certain extent. Maybe it can solve in educating people um, and, and, and helping them do the right thing. But that's where the weakness is. It's not the the network of data providers.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd add to that and say good data governance is critical. And um, as anyone embarking on this uh, uh, journey, uh, get your data governance right, your data owners right. Um, before you start, um, you, you need to know uh, who wakes up in the morning and says the customer record is my record. I'm in charge. I know who's got access to it. I know why we're collecting uh, certain pieces of data, and I know uh, how it's being used. Get that um, get that done straight up. That's that's really important.
2: Amazing. Does anybody else have anything to add? I think the only thing I, I was thinking about in my vision. Um, so we have this vision, uh, which I think we all share, in which the frontline staff do the, the work of emotional connection and, um, you know, and, and working directly with the client and social connection as well. Um, I was just thinking, so we've recently, uh, over, over the last two years, automated a lot of the work of our practice managers. So we used to have four to five therapists who were supported by one practice manager. Now with automation of all the administrative tasks, one practice manager can support 14 therapists and all their clients. So it's a fairly significant amount of automation. and But what that has meant, and it's tricky, it's tricky. What it's meant is that those practice managers spend their most of their day doing fairly complex human interactions. They're dealing with the therapists who are stressed out. They're dealing with the clients who are happy. They're dealing with the clients who are frustrated because the NDIS just rejected their application. You know, they're talking to parents who've just had their child diagnosed. They're doing a lot of really heavy emotional work, which is really important. And it's the work that only humans can do but they can't switch off for two hours at the end of the day and just sit there and punch things, you know, into the admin system as a bit of a kind of chill out time, Um, just do something very repetitive to relax. And so I do wonder in this vision, if we're having the humans do a lot of heavy social connection and emotional work, how do we support them? Do they then have to work shorter hours? Because that can be draining as well. And if they don't have these very boring admin tasks to go through or You know, the doctors don't have a pile of journal articles to read because the AI has found it all for them. Um, Do we need to rethink the structure of the day and how much people are working and how we support them in that?
0: Okay, thanks for that, guys. Um, So before we um, conclude, I'd like to say a big thank you to all our guests for today for um, sharing their thoughts as well as expertise on today's topic. It's been great, guys. And once again, my guests are... um, Glenn Smith from Hammond Care, uh, Piroshka bissitz from Ambo, as well as uh, Samir Sinha from Global Medics. Um, my name is Vinolia Matou. Thank you so much for listening.